0: Hello everyone, this is from the bookshelves of Forbes India, I am Divya Shekhar. Our guest on today's episode is a self-made entrepreneur who has spent 20 years in the software industry followed by 15 years in biotech. Sam Santosh started his entrepreneurial career with the California Software Company Limited and took it public in India. He then wanted to go deep into genetics, and through his incubator, Genome Labs in Kochi and San Francisco, he has incubated and launched several companies leveraging next-generation sequencing and bioinformatics. He has also incubated MedGenome, a genomic diagnostics and research organization in India, and helps many pharma and biotech companies for targeted therapies and innovation. His latest book, Sam's 12 commandments for the Indian entrepreneur draw upon his extensive experience in business to offer timeless lessons to young and first-time entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Mr. Santosh.
1: Thank you very much, Deviya.
0: You speak about the Indian psyche of doing business and how the Indian entrepreneur is very different from, say, entrepreneurs in the US or in other countries for that matter. And hence, it's important for a book like yours, which is like, catering specifically to the Indian entrepreneur so what is the psyche of the Indian entrepreneur and how have you understood that and you know uh, wrote written about it in your book
1: (laughs) yeah so I mean uh, I'm a hardcore Indian though uh, I have been living in the US maybe for the last uh, 30 odd years Uh, uh, but uh, my entrepreneur journey started I think far back in 1987 you know when this was not like a a big fad as it is now and uh, over the years you know i spent the first uh, 20 years in the software industry and the last uh, 15 years in the biotech industry and uh, obviously there has been a lot of learnings uh, you know i don't want to go into all that now but uh, but uh, one thing which i noticed uh, was that uh, uh, we uh, indians uh, you, know, uh, you know tend to take uh, certain decisions uh, in business uh, very much based on uh, our psyche so so, uh, so as you asked so that means we need to sort of define the indian psyche right so that is what i try to do in that first two chapters i mean uh, part of it is the way society is too so the indian society you know we, are, we don't have much of a gap or a much of a room for failure so that's why i call, uh, uh, go through in the initial first commandment like i mean should you be an entrepreneur right and and, and what is the timing right what is the rush so so so, and what's your risk profile? Because we risk is much more, you know, critical uh, point to think about in in the Indian context. So, for example, in the US, you can quickly go bankrupt and start again. Here, that might take years, and even after that, many of the baggage may not go away. So so that is one big thing to consider in the Indian context. Secondly, I mean, you know, a lot of funding becomes very important on how you take the right funding, you know, and then get the right team together. Indians uh, typically don't bring in the say, chief financial officer, you know. So, so, so that I, I I harp on that very strongly. Similarly, there's a tendency to bring family members, which I think is pretty bad for the first time entrepreneur. So, these are some of the initial things. Then I think the share equity is something, your equity or share percentage in the company is something which we seldom discuss. So the Indian culture often is at odds with with really demanding your share. We feel that oh, if you do the right things you get the right things, right, appropriate to what you did. Uh, but in real life, that is often not so. I mean, you know, you have to really make sure <laughs> the agreements, uh, many of the things that you enter in, in business are really put in properly and you take care of yourself, uh, you know, before you can take care of the company. So so these are some of the important things that uh that from the Indian psyche that you need to think through. Then something connected to the family business also, the pe- many people don't think about exit. So that also becomes very difficult, especially when you take outside money. So if you are like a family business, the traditional family business, the question of exit doesn't arise. But now, when you're if you're going out and getting like the angel funding, the VC's funding, the many many levels of funding, you have to be very very clearly prepared for the be prepared for the exit, Uh, because otherwise you're not really being fair first of all to the other investors, uh, because they need an exit whether you want or not. So so uh, so so that is one. Secondly, it's very good for you to get a second innings and build the next company. So those things also I think become very important to think about since we are not trained for that uh, as an Indian.
0: So you have a degree in mechanical engineering and you followed it up with an MBA from IIM Calcutta. Uh, Then you started a software company, you were also into product engineering. And then somewhere in the early 2000s, you completely shifted focus and uh, went into genomics, uh, which is a completely different industry, a completely different space. And you had no prior professional experience there. Uh, Do you remember the first time you came across the concept of genomics?
1: Oh, absolutely! Because it is so uh, you know uh, important and and big. It was reading the newspaper paper, or I forget which magazine which had the uh, the, the the page front page with uh, uh, Bill Clinton was the president and uh, Tony of U.S. and Tony Blair was the prime minister of uh, U.K. and both of them were together because a global effort to sequence the human genome and the two main people involved in it, uh, Craig Wender and. Uh, the other main person, I forget the name, but all four of them in the cover page. Uh, so, uh, so that was uh, that was that was the thing. I I was sort of shocked. Hey, what is this? Uh, you know, a human genome. And then it sort of struck me as, a, hey, this is the sort of the code, the source code of life. You know, yeah, because all all uh, living beings share the same you know uh, code, the same DNA. And I had been working on system level code right for the previous <laughs> 10, 12 years. So I knew the power. So I didn't take too long to strike me that hey, this is what I do want to do for the next maybe 10, 15 years. I had no doubt. So that was the moment. Then I had to learn because I had never looked at biology after my 10th grade. So I had forgotten uh, the little bit I had learned. So it does really... How long did
0: it take you for for you to learn? I think you said about four to five years. Five
1: years. Yeah, and five grade. years. And yeah, the, just the basics. Basics and fundamentals and, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I still can't go into a lab and do anything. And. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: No, I mean, a lot of us come across something which, which we think would make for a very good opportunity. Oh, this is something we feel that, okay, this is something that can become big in the future. This is something that has a lot of promise or potential. But not a lot of people really act on it and act on it in a way that, uh, you know, requires investing serious money, serious effort and, you know, like going back to school like you did. So what was that one spark that that made you invest so much into something that you came across casually while reading a newspaper?
1: Oh, well, uh, I mean, you know, it's sort of like love at first sight, right? I mean, just like software uh, in 86, 87 timeframe. I mean, sometimes you just know, I mean, and and, and it, you don't know the specifics. So if somebody asked me, hey, what are you going to do in genomics? I had no clue. Even in 2009, I really, really had no clue. What am I, I really going to do, right? How, how am I going to build a business? We don't know. Uh, but uh, the thing is that you suddenly it hits you that that this is going to this is not a fad. You know there are many fads, so you have to really differentiate between what is a fad and what is really going to uh, what is really going to be a wave or, or or a tide that is moving up. So if you are if you have been able to identify that, then the tide you are in the right direction. Right. So, so, so you might make mistakes, but you, it won't pull you down. But if you're in the wrong industry, or if you're fighting against the tide, one or two small mistakes is enough to kill you and uh, drag you down. So, so the the ability to uh, to differentiate that and then do the further groundwork to really figure out that you're in the right direction uh, that is the important thing. So, if you're able to do that, then you're able to quickly uh, differentiate between what was just uh, a temporary thing and what is really going to be a very long term impactful thing.
0: Right. So essentially you need to, um, following your passion isn't always the key. I mean, you should also keep your personal passion aside and also... Yeah,
1: passion aside. Keep the first startup. Again, rules are first startup. First startup and assuming that you're not a very wealthy. I mean, if you're from a, uh, a big rich family, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Oh, go for your passion. I mean, you know, but just between people like people like you and me, I mean, we really need to think through like, okay, is this something which I can do now? And is this the best idea that has the best potential? Not which I'm most passionate about, you might be very passionate about saving the the blue whale, maybe, I mean, you know, whatever. And, and 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 you might think of some fancy way of like uh, maybe reducing global warming or, or, or reducing the carbon concentration, which are all very nice. Uh, nothing wrong with any of those very good things, right? But then you shouldn't have to go around begging for money or other people's CSR budget or whatever to do, what you want to do. I think that is a sort of pathetic. So go out and uh, find a nice opportunity and really make sure that's a good one and make some money, then you can do your passion. So, you know, uh, so I went into software because I can code. So, I'm, I, I'm not dependent on anybody when I started my software business. But when I went into genomics, I can't do the lab, but I, I, I'm in a better position. I, I, I have some money, I, I can attract more funding. You know, so your profile has changed. So, build your profile, build your skill set. So, for example, if you are coming for a little risky profile, I mean, why not go for a good job in the industry that you want to, right? and uh, and 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 work for two three years so you learn the skills you'll make some money you make some contacts maybe you make some friends who can be your co-founders then go and jump and start your company later
0: right in fact uh, when you spoke about the environment i also wanted to point out to our listeners that you are also passionate about conservation right and you've also written about uh, you know some of the conservation projects that you have undertaken could you give us a glimpse of that
1: yeah 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 it is uh, it is a uh, yeah like i said um, there are many things that i'm passionate about in the history i'm very passionate about uh, conservation yeah very passionate about uh, so uh, uh, you know yeah so multiple ways uh, i like to look at that one is in the business itself so i'm really going uh, pushing my next business activities uh, in in uh, in pushing what i call the bio wave uh, the genomic sequencing was only the first step so now uh, more uh, good technologies of genome editing creating new genomes uh, so the bio uh, wave is happening and, and so that will be over the next 20 30 years this will be like a tsunami in slow motion so it will build up so there's a lot of business opportunities in that while you are helping the world because if you move away from industrial manufacturing technologies which was great in the last 200 years and enabled us to get where we are cannot go forward because it will spoil the planet already spoiling the planet polluting it polluting us we are getting new diseases plastics many of the things which are good have become bad at a stage of level of usage and we can't go forward with that but the bio uh, revolution and the bio wave uh, will uh, can fix that so that is on the business side on the other side i also like to you know do a little bit of like you know conserving history especially conserving our heritage so one thing which came as a mix of history heritage and biology was when i came across a book called uh, hortus malabaricus it's in Latin, that means the Garden of Malabar. So the, when the Dutch were in Kerala, my home state, uh, in uh, in the 1670s, they were here for about 100 years after they displaced the Portuguese. Uh, the commander of Cochin uh, fell in love with the Kerala plans. And so he uh, made a 20, sorry, 12-volume treatise on on, on on the medicinal plants of Kerala. Uh, Malabar, it was called at that time. So that's why it's Hortas Malabaricus. So, so I was amazed at, the, at that, not only at that concept and at the way the books have been made. And uh, luckily, uh, uh, some, a group of uh, professors under Dr. Manilal had uh, translated it to English and Malayalam in the same format as 12 volumes. So I felt that uh, this should be recreated. All those plants should be brought in one place and, and uh, not only protected, conserved and also propagated because some of them are endangered and we, we couldn't find everything yet, but uh, some are maybe even extinct. So, uh, so and then also uh, build up a garden uh, with this and uh, the other endemic plants of uh, Kerala and the Western Ghats. So that is a project I started uh, as part of my, I have a non-profit foundation called the SciGenome Research Foundation. So in 2016, we started that. So that is a major passion on the side. So uh, uh, in a year, uh, we will open it to the public. So it is going well. So And then I'm hoping to push it uh, through, uh, use that as a living biobank for other studies. So uh, we'll see.
0: Right. I mean, that's that's quite an ambitious undertaking. And, you know, that also brings me back to to genomics. Like, what is the kind of technology that is required for genomics? And where does India stand? I think right now the the government has undertaken the sequencing of 10,000, uh, you know, Indian uh, uh, genomes. And uh, where, where 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 do we stand right now? Uh,
1: we are we're about 20 years late. Uh, but still it is good uh, that we started these initiatives now. Uh, because when you're talking here of genomics, you are just talking about the first part of genomics that is a uh, reading the code. That is called genome sequencing. You're taking the DNA or RNA out of the uh, organism, any organic matter. And then you are you know sequencing it used in a machine. So uh, so but uh, but uh technologies are moving much far, faster, further. So India is very really behind. We need to catch up. This is a step in the right direction. But many companies, including us, I mean, leading my, my companies, Medgenome was the first company I spun out of side genome. So we already covered more than 10,000, even like five years back. Uh, you know, we published in the um, uh, Nature cover particle was genomes of Asia, not just uh, genomes from India. Uh, we, we, we covered a number of countries, including India, uh, but still, uh, you know, it's good that government is also also stepping up and doing, uh, but there are so many other things that can be done with the, with the first part of genomic sequencing itself. We can eradicate our uh, many of the diseases, inherited diseases in children, uh, we can get better medicines. So a lot of things can be done if you really push uh, genomics research hard. So I'm hoping that the government uh, will do that. They are in the right direction. They already announced a plan to uh, eradicate sickle cell anemia. That's one very major inherited disease uh, in the next maybe 15, 10, 15 years. They also have some roadmap for the bioeconomy. How the India's bioeconomy can grow. So, so, but research still we are very much lacking. But uh, like I said earlier, we have a lot of Indian scientists abroad. They don't need to come back. Uh, if we had established collaborations with them and with the re- institutions, uh, we can push research up. So India should have a maybe a more clearer strategy on, on how we, we can we can become a powerful uh, a, you know a player in the bio revolution, leveraging all the genomic technologies, not only sequencing. But uh, genome editing, then like I said earlier, uh, creating new genomes, uh, synthetic genomes and moving on into the field of synthetic biology.
0: Right. Uh, do you see that as a priority right now or like this investment in research, investment in infrastructure capabilities, etc.?
1: Uh, from my visibility point of view, I don't see that as that big a priority for India. I don't blame them. So don't take it as a criticism. India is a large country with a lot of problems, right? So so there is, uh, you know, uh, hunger on one side, uh, lack of, uh, you know, uh, so much poverty yet and so much other lack of facilities. And so uh, there's, a, there's a lot of compromise with the leaders have to take. I mean, what do you focus on? I mean, you know, you have this energy to be sorted out, there's water to be fixed. Uh, you know, so so. So, so we don't know. Sitting from here, I mean, we are just seeing a very narrow view of of what can be done. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so uh, I I don't think I'm really qualified to say how, how a, a good uh, balanced uh, policy <laughs> should be set up. But uh, as a person with a vested interest in this field, uh, I, I'm sad that uh, more efforts are not being done here.
0: Right. Uh, And uh, coming back to uh, the commandments, uh, you've dedicated an entire section on, and one entire commandment on why it's important to get the CFO early in on on the business have you seen things changing lately because when we speak to a lot of these young startups uh, they give a lot of prominence to the CFO they seem to be at least and also the way in which the CFO operates Uh, it might not be necessarily a person from the finance background but the, the profile of the CFO you know the the kind of work that they do and the kind of importance that a CFO is given we see a lot of them coming up in startups now but what do you think about that.
1: Uh, I mean, it's great if they are st- coming up now, but uh, from again, from the companies that I had interacted with and uh, I had done a lot of acquisitions, but that was again about 10 years back, uh, 15 years back in the software industry. And that is when my I, I was struck by this fact that uh, Indian, not only Indian entrepreneurs here, but Indian origin entrepreneurs, even in US or Japan or Europe, um, wouldn't have a good CEO so so that is what uh, the my, my learning was uh, uh, and it was struck me that it had really affected their company not only the growth of the company but also when they're trying to sell because that was in that uh, environment that I'm meeting them right we are trying to acquire them when we do the due diligence we see that uh, their rally actually comes down which is pretty bad for them so they're getting hit because of not having a proper accounting form procedures in place and many other agreements with employees agreement with vendors so many things uh, it's not like one thing and which often like you said somebody taking the responsibility of being the CFO is not the solution because he may not be most probably will not be well trained and 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 will not do it the right way so it's so it's not like uh, even earlier they did not understand the role of the CFO in fact most of the time the CEO will be playing the role of the CFO but that is not right so that is also what I'm trying to point out so that doesn't give the right checks and balances also that is needed in the in the company uh, and and putting in the right processes uh, is a very tough one. So, so, uh, 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 a qualified CFO, even if not a full time, uh, is very important, uh, to put the things in place. How's the company structured? How are the stock options put in? How are, uh, you know, the equity structure laid out? What are the other clauses? What are the shareholders agreement? You know, the sort uh, this is the beginning of the list. The list goes on. So it's uh, all of this will come to bite you, you know, after like eight years, you're trying to sell and you don't have a proper shareholders agreement. And then people are like now at loggerheads on, you know, what to do. How to do so, so?
0: Right, and why do you think entrepreneurs or businesses in India do not value the CFO enough?
1: Uh, I, I, I think one is little lack of really understanding that uh, the way of business is different because many of them, if they are first-time entrepreneurs, they don't realize what they will have to go through later. They're just trying to solve the immediate problem, and a CFO is first of all expensive. Second, uh, there are not too many there, so so you don't really get a good qualified ones easily. So you are trying to conserve cost, right? So it's all done in a very good intention. It's not in any bad intention. So and they know it's important. So CEO says, okay, you know, I I I I should do it then, right? I I I, I handle it. I'll take care of it. So he tries to do his best job. Secondly, in the we are more to trading right? Our, and our family business and that model. So where, where many of these intricacies of later level intricacies are, don't, don't really come into. why in a family business, what is the shareholder agreement? <laughs> you know, and, and there's a very clear systems of how to expenditure and revenue man- are managed. And you never think of fundraising. You're not going to go and expose your books to somebody else. You never think of a sale off or a merger. Unless the family has really gone down and you're like getting near broke or something like that, so. So the, our culture and our background uh, never, uh, never needed us to uh, think too much about it as a very, uh, very big separate function. It is important. But, you know, like the owner will keep the cash keys, uh, you know, I will, I, I of the of the cash box, uh, they, they, they would keep it like that.
0: Right. You know, in fact, uh, when you were writing this book, uh, And if you had to look back at your career spanning, you know, over three decades, what is the highest high and what is the lowest low
1: for you? Highest high has always been learning, you know, whenever I'm able to learn anything new, anything more like, you know, I, not only just like this genomics, but even in genomics, when you when you the aha moment, right, when you suddenly realize why something is happening this way, uh, you know, and then being able to sometimes convert that into opportunities or good projects like Horthos Malabaricus was like a very high for me, being able to uh, make it into reality and and having the garden go, go come up. Uh, in a twenty-acre plot, I mean, it is it is like a big uh, aha moment uh, or a great high moment. Uh, low moments are often there. I mean, it's sort of matching in parallel, right? <laughs> when an idea fails or things, I never feel low. I mean, it's when an idea fails, or I, I feel actually happier because hey, I am not going to waste more time on this. Like I can move on. Uh, the low comes when with uh, uh, with uh, mainly when misunderstandings or disagreements or uh, 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 things with your partners, uh, friends. Uh, you know that is that brings you really down. Uh, you know, uh, about somebody like when you're working with somebody closely for like ten years or twenty years, and then uh, so, you know when you when you have to part or there is disagreement, misunderstandings, uh, that becomes uh, a very low low thing for me.
0: If you had to, you know, tell young entrepreneurs of today for that. One crucial thing that they need to watch out for in your book, or that one crucial learning that they can expect from your book, or one crucial leadership lesson, for instance, that they can expect from your book, what would that
1: be? Oh, very difficult to say it as like one major thing. So, I think the first 10 or 9, 10 commandments are like pretty, uh, pretty, pretty important ones for the startup. The last two are more philosophical. And out of that, uh, the, the points are in different areas, right? The founding team is very important. Choosing the right idea is very important. CFO equally important. Then you know raising funding. So so planning your exit. Watching out for the gorillas. So these are all at each stage the most important thing.
0: Right? Can you can you uh, talk a bit more about the gorillas that you just mentioned?
1: <laughs> yeah. So that is a le- big learning in my life. So I, there I go a little long in, in uh, typically I not kept much of personal stories in the book because I mean, I thought it meant just much better to keep it generalized. But there I knew people who do not fully understand. So I went deep into one, a couple of examples where, you know, we, we, had, we tend to look at the other startups or the other small companies, right? We really forget who are the big gorillas in your industry, whose decisions are going to really make a change uh, in your life without without you really realizing what happened and so so that that often happens without us uh te- being uh, you know taking the right steps to learn about it in advance and it's but it is easily preventable uh, because there are not too many gorillas in any industry so, so you are, you can easily identify them. And since they are big, you can you know, get a lot of information about them. You can get uh, their employees to move out. You can hire some of them. So, there are multiple ways by which you can really track uh, what the big companies are doing. Uh, so, so if you don't do that, uh, sometimes something can come and hit you very badly. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it can be a new product release. It can be a new. It's a vendor. He comes up with a new equipment which you are not aware of. You spend a lot of money on the previous version. So things like that. So or the government can be a gorilla. They make a new rule and and something you know uh, suddenly something uh, dramatically changes in your business. So being aware of that and 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 paying some attention to that becomes very important as you pass the startup page, uh, stage and you have some you know you are responding funding and you are slowly now trying to build up and so all the environment becomes much more important
0: before right thank you thank you so much for your time uh, Mr. Santosh it was wonderful speaking with you it was a nice conversation thank you Divya so listeners that was Sam Santosh and his book is called Sam's 12 commandments for the Indian entrepreneur hope you like the conversation I'm Divya Shekhar see you next time